I, I want to get back into the Psalm Book of Jesus series. Now, Psalm 91 was one of the psalms we were going to get to, originally scheduled about three weeks from now, but I thought because this is our first time back, it would be good to talk about Psalm 91 today, um, for, all, for various reasons. Several years ago, several years ago, Yahoo asked their customers this question. Yeah, Yahoo, of all people, posted this question to ask their customers, what are you most afraid of in life? What are you most afraid of in life? The answers that came back several years ago went something like this. I'm most afraid of dying suddenly. I'm most afraid of people hating me. I am most afraid of becoming unsuccessful, of failing to fulfill my dreams. I'm most afraid of the dark, ghosts and evil spirits. I'm most afraid of not being remembered after I die. And the number one answer to the question, what are you afraid of most in life, was this several years ago. I'm afraid that my children will die before I do. I imagine if Yahoo took that survey today, asked the same question today, what are you most afraid of, that most of the answers would revolve around COVID-19. Now, I hope to never hear the phrase COVID-19 again once it's passed. I don't want to hear the term social distancing ever again. But if Yahoo were to take that same survey and ask the people in this room, the people around our country, what are you most afraid of? They would probably answer something like this. I am most afraid of coming down with COVID-19. I am most afraid of dying from COVID-19. I am most afraid of losing a loved one to COVID-19. I am most afraid of losing my job or my business to COVID-19. That's just where we're at right now. Everybody's afraid of COVID-19. I hope you have realized that this will probably not be the last time this world is afraid of something like COVID-19. It might be a war. It might be another sickness. It might be something. But fearful, anxious times like this, they come around. They come around. Like it or not, there is going to be something else coming around the pike to be afraid of. Jesus told us that that would happen. He told us in, in John 16.33 that we will have trouble. But he said we can take heart because he has overcome the world. There's nothing this world can throw at us that Jesus hasn't already handled for us. We just have to stand firm in our faith and watch the Lord fight the battles on our behalf. Look, I think one of the most important tools in our tool belt when it comes to times like this, is the Word of God. And we keep pointing people to the Word of God. Throughout, through the Word, we can find comfort in knowing that God is always faithful to His people. Those of you that have been with me through the story, how many things like COVID-19 and worse did God bring those people through? Again and again and again and again. And why wouldn't that same God who never changes do the same for us, right? When we get into the Word, it reminds us that God is always looking out for us, always looking over us. No detail of our lives escapes His attention. For crying out loud, Jesus says He's numbered the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. He's looking over us. In times like this, these fear-filled, anxious times, we, we want to point you to the Word because it's in the Word. 
it tells us that we have a God who truly cares about us. He truly knows us, and he knows what we need when we need it. He is our protector. He is our provider. He's our comforter. He's our helper, especially in times like this. So whatever the circumstance may be, no matter how intense the environment of fear is in the moment, we can turn to the word of God to find a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. How many of you have, I have, I've had people ask me, Matt, what is it? You never seem to get too worried about anything. Well, inside I'm a mess. You know, I'm as worried as anybody else, I guess. But I know that God's got it handled. And it comes from knowing the word. And it comes from knowing the God who's spoken that word. Look, Psalm 91 is like my go-to scripture. When I feel like I am being drawn into that pit of fear, I go to Psalm 91. It's my go-to. You guys know what I'm talking about, that, that, that feeling that begins way down deep inside. And before you know it, it's creeped up, it's grabbed you by the heart, and it's beginning to choke you. It's like, I am just... When I start feeling like that, I go to Psalm 91. And a little over two months ago, when this thing first started coming to our attention, on a Sunday morning just like this, right before service began, God spoke to me and he said, go create a prayer out of Psalm 91 and share it with your people. And so I did. And that's why we've been praying Psalm 91 at the end of every service, because I felt like this is what God wanted us to do, and he wanted all of our attention to be focused on his word where he, where he promises to be our protector and our deliverer and our hope in times of fear. I didn't know we'd be praying it for over t- two months, but we are, and we may continue to pray another two months, or at least until this crisis is over, because I want you guys to know that there is a God who stands far and above all of this, and he's got your back. He's got your back. So, We're going to get to Psalm 91. We should have been doing it a couple of weeks from now, but we're going to do it today because this is our first day back together, worshiping under the same roof, and I thought it would be appropriate. But I want you to know that Psalm 91, to me, is like a life preserver being thrown to a drowning man. It's a word I cling to and hang on to in times like this. It's a song of hope in in God's protection and in his strength. It's a prayer that causes us to look to God for our help, to get our eyes off of the waves and the wind and off the fear and the anxiety and the problems in the situations. It calls us to direct all of our attention and all of our affection toward God. It's a prayer that causes us to look to God for help. And it's a passage of scripture that's just filled with the promises of God. So I, I want us to look at this, and it's going to be, I'm going to look at it in a little bit different way. I'm going to really just run through the first 13 verses throwing out a little bit of commentary, and then the last three verses we'll focus on a little bit because that's where God himself puts his stamp of approval on what the psalmist has told us, where God himself speaks up and he says, yes, these are the promises I will fulfill to those who put their hope and trust in me. So let's read Psalm 91 together. At the end of service, we're going to have a special young man come up and lead us in Psalm 91 together as a prayer, but right now let's look at it. And let's try to glean from it some truth we can hang on to this morning. Psalm 91, verse 1. By the way, 911. Get it? It's a 911 prayer. Just saying. When you're in a panic mode, read 911. Psalm 911. Hang on to it. Anyway, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you made the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Here's where God begins to speak. The first part, it was the psalmist making a confession of his faith in God. In the second part, it was the psalmist encouraging you and I to make that same confession about God. But now it's God speaking. He's heard the confession from the psalmist. We have joined in with that confession of our hope and faith in God. And now God says, all right, here's my stamp of approval on what you're saying. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, we say a great big amen to this psalm. It is the prayer that emanates from hearts who are often consumed by fear. Lord, we look to you today. We look to the hope that you offer us, the shelter that you provide us, the refuge that you want to be to us, God. And we say, yes, that's what we want, and that's who you are. Lord, draw our attention and our affection toward you. Help us to get our eyes off the troubles and the situations and the problems and the circumstances that want to somehow conjure up all this fear in us. Lord, Fear has nothing to do with you. Instead, let our fear be transformed into faith. Faith in you. Faith in your promises. Faith in your word. Faith in your person. We love you, Jesus. Be glorified here today in this word. Help us to be drawn to you. I pray that every heart would be open, every mind would be open to receive the truth of this word so that we can embrace it and begin to put it into practice in our life. You have not called us to live with a spirit of fear. You have not called us to live with a spirit of fear, but you have given us power, and love, and sound mind. Help us to walk in that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to run through the first 13 verses real quick, so hang on. I want you to, the first thing I want you to see about this psalm, and it's so important that you notice it because I believe it's the hinge, it's the hinge on which all these promises toward us rest. It says it's important it's important for us to notice the hope and the promises of Psalm 91 only apply to the, listen, only apply to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. The promises and the hope contained in Psalm 91 only apply to those who rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now the word dwell there means to abide or to stay or to live. What, what Psalm 91 is trying to tell us is this, that if we will keep ourselves in the presence of God, if we'll keep ourselves close to God, if we'll keep ourselves living in God with all of our life through the word, through prayer, through meditation, through fellowship with him and with his people, through obedience, then these promises become ours in full effect. 
But is that there's a condition here to the fulfillment of these promises in our life. Once we begin to, listen, let me just be honest with you. I find myself all the time drifting away from some of those things that keep me close to God. Come on, am I the only one? Before you know it, I've got my eyes off of God. I have, beg- I have taken my presence, if you will, out of God's presence and begun to drift away and do my own little thing. Guess what happens? Fear gets its chance to wrap its slimy fingers around my throat and grip my heart. When I stay close to God, what have I got to fear? But when I begin to drift away from God, I'm going to fear everything. And what this psalm is telling us is, these promises, this hope, is only going to be fully realized in the hearts of those who make it their priority, who set the highest value on being in the presence of God on a regular and consistent basis, living with him, living, if you will, in him. That's where the protection, that's where fear has no way of entering into our hearts. All right, the four words used here for God in verses 1 and 2, most high, almighty, Lord, Yahweh, which is uh, I am who I am, which is a a self-existence, he has no beginning, no end, He, he doesn't depend on anything, and David refers to him as, or the psalmist refers to him as my God. Notice the person, the personal touch there, the intimacy there, my God. It's my God. So you've got four words there used for God. And if you take all these four names together, what you find out is they convey to us an image of God's awesome majesty and his glory and his power. There's no one like this God. And this God is not just the God of the universe. He's the God of you and me. And he's brought us into a personal relationship. It's like the most powerful being in the universe looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You come to me anytime you want with any need that you happen to have at the moment. You got it. I got got your back. I got you taken care of. It's as if God is a fortress on a mountaintop overlooking and always protecting his people and ready to come from that fortress down with his armies to protect his people and to meet the needs. I grew up in the shadow of a fortress that was on a mountain in India. My, uh, the home that I lived in was, was literally right at the foot of Mount Shivaneri, and on top of Mount Shivaneri was a fort where a great uh, Indian king had lived at one time. And I used to love to climb that mountain. And I would go out, and I would get behind the walls of that great fort, and I would look down at the foot of that mountain, and there was my home. And I could see some of my little ant-sized friends running around, you know. And I kept thinking, man, this, I wonder if this is what God feels. God sits on his throne, and he's just peering over that throne, and he's pointing. There's Mark, and there's Christelle, and there's Brittany, and there's Marshall. Oh, wait a minute. I see danger on the horizon. Help him. You know, I just get this feeling that, that that's what that, it's trying to convey to us. And this is who God is. He is constantly watching over us from, from and, and I don't want to make him seem like he's distant and way up there because we know he is everywhere, but I want you to understand this reality. You can never escape his attention. He's got his eye on you. The eyes of the Lord roam to and, thro- and fro throughout the earth to seek to strongly support those whose hearts are his. I'm slowing down. I've got to get moving. Verse 3. 
tells us that the dangers we face come in many varieties, in many forms. Verse 3 represents those dangers in two different ways. There's the fowler's snare, and there's the deadly pestilence. The fowler's snare is a trap that isn't seen until it's too late. Like, you remember the party you were at, and you weren't feeling real good? And they said, here, take this, it'll make you feel better. You're like, okay. Never realizing it was a trap, and the trap was set. And it was going to keep you in captivity for the next several years of your life. So there are dangers like that, fowler snares, traps, that you don't see until it's too late. But then there are also fears, dangers like the pestilence, the plagues. Sounds kind of like a virus, where you can't see it at all. Some, you know, until you're caught in it, whether it's a sickness or a disease, it just comes out of nowhere, blindsides you, had no idea. Not your creation, that you didn't do it on purpose. It had nothing to do with you or any action, any behavior, any attitude of your own, but you find yourself suddenly caught up in this treacherous situation of your, look, there are, we're, we're, we're constantly, every day of your life has risks attached to it. You realize that, right? If it's not COVID-19, it's the flu. If it's not the flu, it's a car wreck. There are risks everywhere, but your God is there to watch over you and protect you. We'll get into more of that. Verse 4. Verse 4, God's protective power is portrayed in two images. We have two different kinds of dangers. Now we have two images where God portrays himself as a mother hen or a bird and his metal armor. When you think of God's protective power as a mother bird, it, you see God gathering us like his little chicks under his wings, right? And beneath his wings, we're safe and we're secure. And to us who are underneath those wings, it's like there's this picture of warmth and tenderness toward God. It just feels safe. It's what I told some of you guys at the beginning of all this in MSP. I said, listen, you stay at MSP. Don't go running back home right now because you don't know what's out there, but you do know what's at MSP. You're safe. You'll have food on the table. There'll be a roof over your head. You're safe. I like feeling safe. I don't like it when there's a lot of fear out there and I find myself thrust out there to have to deal with all of that. And God, under his, under his wings, there's, a, there's, there's tenderness toward us. There's safety he's providing to us. But from the outside to the enemy, he looks like metal armor, impenetrable metal armor, like nothing can get through. To us inside, it's cozy. To them outside, oh my Lord, I'll never be able to break through that. That's right, that's who God is. That's who God is to us. Verses 5 and 6. I tell you, I'm running through this. Maybe you need to go home and meditate on some of this for yourself. I hope you do. Verses 5 and 6 reminds us that God protects us day and night, around the clock, 24-7, 365. God's always got his eyes on you. He's the watchman that never sleeps. He doesn't doze off on the job. Verses 7 and 8 assure us that we will not just be another casualty, another statistic, if we continue to put our trust in God. I'll never forget, when I, every time I read this verse, I think about a young man who was in my youth group in Ozark, Alabama. He was a young black teenager growing up in a really difficult environment, in a difficult town, surrounded by drugs and alcohol and violence. 
And that young man came to the altar one night, gave his heart to the Lord. And when he got up, I hugged him and he hugged me. And I said, man, what, what did God say to you tonight? And this is how he responded to me. He said, God told me tonight that I didn't have to be a statistic. You don't have to be a statistic. You don't have to, to, you don't have to be the addict that never gets back. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of all the statistics that are out there. Well, we lost another one. You know, that phrase, we lost another one. I don't want to lose another one. And you don't have to be that other one. You don't have to be a statistic. You don't have to be a casualty of the spiritual battles going on. Psalm uh, verses 9 and 10 reiterate our need to stay close to God at all times to avoid harm and disaster. And I want to stop there for just a minute to let you know, look, this is more than merely believing in God or coming to God occasionally when danger threatens. Listen, Satan believes in God. He's not protected by God. And, and, and there are all kinds of people who have turned to God in this moment of desperation because of COVID-19, but as soon as the danger passes by, what's going to happen? They'll drift right back into their lethargy, into their spiritual apathy. Look, we have got to make up our minds in this moment, I am never drifting away. And when I find myself drifting away, I pray that God will catch me and draw me back in. And sometimes, often, he uses pain to draw us back in, does he not? Whatever it takes to keep you close to God. Listen, we need to stay close to God at all times to avoid harm and danger. It means resting in God continually. It means abiding in the word, spending time with God in prayer, spending time in meditation, spending time in fellowship with God and his people, making sure that your life lines up with the will of God in obedience. It means living all of your life in God, making him the focus of your life, letting his priorities become your priorities, his values. It's learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Making God your life. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that God provides a supernatural bodyguard. Angels. To watch over us as we travel down this treacherous road called life. One of the things I love about testimonies is that every once in a while somebody will tell, I got into this accident and I don't know how I got out of it. I know how you got out of it. An angel probably opened up that door and let you out. God has a supernatural bodyguard assigned to his children to watch over them as they travel down these dangerous roads. And I tell you what, we'll probably never know until we see Jesus how much we owe those angels who protected us on this journey through life. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. But I want to stop right here and let you know why this, why Psalm 91 has been included in this series, the Psalm Book of Jesus, because the devil quotes these scriptures to Jesus. It's the only time in the Bible that I'm aware of where the devil quotes the Bible. Now, the devil loves to quote the Bible, I think, but he likes to twist it and distort it, take it out of context, make it mean something it didn't really mean. And that's what you see the devil doing here with Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and we read about the devil using these verses to tempt Jesus. The devil took Jesus up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It's written again, You shall not tempt 
the Lord your God. Now what's going on here essentially is this. Satan was trying to bait Jesus into proving himself to be the son of God by forcing God to do something supernaturally, miraculously to protect him. Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something that forced God to move, to act, to work. But Jesus resisted that temptation. He resisted that appeal to his pride. And he quoted the word of God back to the devil. Satan's trying to get Jesus to do it as a form of self-affirmation. Look at me. As a way to get other people impressed by, look at me. You ever get tempted to do that? Hey, oh, look at me. I'm a child of God. I can do it. Literally, I'm going to tell you a couple things that I've heard people do in response to the devil's offer to make something out of themselves, to make a big show, to force God to do something. Literally, there are people today in North Alabama who will worship the Lord today with rattlesnakes. They will pull them out of a box, hold them up, and talk about how much, they, how much faith they have. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know what I'm saying? Literally, I heard about a church who... Their men's ministry went off on a retreat. And in the course of their conversation, they were talking about how, you know, what great faith they had. Mark 16 talks about drinking any poisonous thing and it shall not harm you. Somebody pulled out a bottle of bleach. And in order to prove that they were the children of God they claimed to be, that they had this great faith in God, they began to drink the bleach. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. But we do that all the time. God told me I ought to go into debt to impress the preacher with my offering this morning. What? Don't tempt the Lord your God. I actually, have, I forgot about that one. I heard that one. Pulled out a credit card and went into debt, probably still paying on the offering that they gave in order to impress the preacher with how generous they were. I'm sorry. Let me, let me. Look, Jesus didn't fall for that trick because he understood the whole counsel of God's word. Listen, I think it was John Wesley that said this. He said, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. We don't just focus on one particular passage and yank it out of context in order to make God do something. We need to know the whole word to make a whole Christian. Satan was appealing to a need that we all have. And I, I want to point this out so that we can move on. All of us want to know that God approves of us. We all want to know that when God sees us, he smiles and says, I like that person. I mean, we do, that's, there's that, and that's a legitimate need. And all of us want other people to know that God approves of us too. We want other people to see that God approves of me, Right? But we can't let the devil trick us into doing something to prove that we're a child of God or to, prove, or to impress other people with the fact that we're, the, we're a child of God. You don't have to handle venom mistakes. You don't have to drink bleach. You don't have to take unnecessary risks in a pandemic to prove your God is real and your faith is genuine. I've seen some people post some pretty stupid things on Facebook. I believe in Jesus. Let me lick this doorknob. You know, it's like, What? That's putting God to the test. That's trying to force God to do your will, not his. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
And if you'll write this down, I want you to. God, does, God calls us to live righteously, not recklessly. God calls us to live righteously, not recklessly. Let's move on. Verse 13 tells us that we've been given authority over every strategy devised by the enemy to harm us or destroy us. We know that the devil is like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he, may desi- whom he may devour. We also know that the devil has uh, uh, taken the image of a serpent in order to deceive Eve. So when you see these images of a lion and a serpent, and we've been given authority to trample over every demonic, satanic scheme that he would use to destroy us, to damage us, to harm us, whether he comes at us in a, as a, in a, in a cunning and subtle way like a snake, or whether he attacks us head on and boldly like a lion, we've got nothing to fear from the enemy. Nothing. God has given us the power we need to win every spiritual battle over the enemy when we place our trust in him and stay close to him, dwelling in the shelter of the Almighty. Listen, nothing to fear. And that's the point of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 from verses 1 to 13, the whole point is this. Whether the dangers we face in this life are visible or invisible, whether they are avoidable or unavoidable, whether they are curable or incurable, whether those dangers exist outside of us or inside of us, we have a God of awesome power and majesty and love who has promised to be our source of security and protection no matter what danger we face. And if we live in him, we live in safety. If we live in him, we live in safety. I want to stop. We've got a couple of minutes. I want to focus on the three promises we're given at the end of Psalm 91. Because it's here, I think, that we, we need to see that God himself speaks. That God speaks from his heart to our condition. He speaks to us, puts his stamp of approval on what the psalmist has said. And he gives us three promises, and we need to hang on to these kinds of promises throughout life. Not just because of COVID-19, but because of who he is and who we are prone to be. People who sometimes drift away, fall into pits of fear. First, God promises he will protect us from danger. Excuse me. He will protect us not from danger, but in danger. Verse 14 says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. We've already seen that this psalm speaks of all those dangers that will come against us. We can expect danger on every side. That's part of living this life in a broken world. But the central message here is this, that God will rescue us and protect us as long as we love him. As long as we keep our attention and our focus, our affections focused on him. And the question I've got for you this morning is, is God, does God own your heart? Is he the object of your highest affection? Chrissy talked about how she came to realize that the church had become an idol. The church can be an idol. Anything that takes your eyes off of God. And I would encourage you right now, is there anything right now that if you were to lose it, if it were to be taken away from you, it would fundamentally change your life to the point where life wouldn't be worth living anymore? If you say it's a person, a child, a spouse, a job, a thing. 
that's become an idol to you. There's only one thing that you ought to fear losing in your life, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let everything else go. Otherwise, it's prone to becoming an idol. And that idol will capture your heart, and you will live constantly in the fear of losing it. God, you can't lose. God, you can't lose. He's not going anywhere. And I think, honestly, I think that a part of this COVID-19 thing for the last two months is a lot of people have been exposed as idolaters. A lot of good people living in churches and worshiping in churches like ours, including me, have found out a lot of things in my life have become far more important than they ought to be. That they've taken my highest affection off of the Lord and I've placed it here or I've placed it there, but it needs to refocus until it's all on Jesus. Second, he promises that when we pray, he will answer. Verse 15 says, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God promises that when we call out to him, he will come running. He will answer our prayers. And I want you to notice, please notice with me, that this verse doesn't say people who trust in him will escape trouble. It says when we're in trouble, we can call and he will answer. That he will be with us in the trouble. This is what I love about Jesus. He's God with us, Emmanuel. He came to live with us. He's, he came to live in this mess with us. And he's walking with us through this mess that we're still dealing with. But he's promised that he will be with us in the trouble and that he will deliver us through the trouble. And, and sometimes we need to step back here because, again, we, we, get, we, get like, we, we get like some of those guys that were drinking bleach. We think, well, man, I belong to Jesus. Nothing back can touch me. Nothing back can harm me. Guess what? There were some good Christian people that lost their jobs during COVID-19. They loved Jesus with all their heart. There are some good people who got COVID-19 and died this, over these last two months. Does that mean somehow their faith was weak? I would tell you no. That doesn't mean anything at all. It means that Jesus was with them through that time of sorrow and, and pain and suffering. That Jesus brought them through. And I would tell you that anyone who dies in Christ, that's gain, not loss. Just, just say it. We got... If you're in Christ, you got nothing to be afraid of. But sometimes it's the will of God to bring us through the trouble in order to help us grow and mature. Romans 5 talks about it. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. In other words, they teach us to walk it out. And some of us have learned that lesson. You've learned to walk it out. you just learned to keep going. The whole world may be falling apart, but that doesn't change me from walking this out and saying, focus on my mission. Walk it out. And endurance develops strength of character. And I'm telling you, those of you who've kept your eyes on the Lord and have continued to walk this out, you're better people because of it. You're better people because of it. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You see, when you walk it all the way through and get to the other side, you look back and you say, oh my Lord, I didn't know it was that bad. But here I am. I'm doing good. Satan can't touch this, baby. So you're going to find out that God intends to take you where he's promised to take you. 
He's taking you home. All the way home. Until you're fully, fully formed in the image of Christ. That's his plan. So he, he, he's going you know, to, trouble has a way, doesn't it, of driving us to our knees. Trouble has a way of drawing us even closer to God. Trouble has a way of helping us grow in our love for God, and trouble has a way of helping us want to be more like Christ, want to be more like God. So it, I'm not afraid of trouble. As a matter of fact, I think that's why Paul said we can rejoice in it. Because we know if we will stick to it, we'll be better for it. Okay, third. We're out of time already. Third, he gives us a full and satisfying life. God has promised to give us a full, satisfying life. It says in verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now long life is, is, is often promised to the righteous in the Old Testament, but what I want us to think about is not in terms of added years to a life, but added quality to a life. I want you to think back to your own life. If you had stayed close to God, how much of the brokenness would you have avoided? And how much peace and wholeness would you now be experiencing? That's what God will do for those who trust him, for those who stay close to him. That's what God will do even for the broken who want to be restored. That's what God has promised to the worst of us if we'll just put our focus on him and trust him and let him lead from now on. See, it doesn't matter how you started. What really matters is how you're going to finish. So... He's promised that from, from this day on, if you'll put your hope and trust in me, see, eternal life begins the moment you put your trust in Christ. Eternal life begins the moment you trust in Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with the length of years. It has everything to do with the quality of your life. I don't know what kind of life you want. I've had enough of the brokenness. And I've had enough of the uncertainty it gets old fast. I want to know God's got me in the palm of his hand and he's not letting me go. Jesus put it this way in John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and life to the full. And that's what Jesus has promised to us. The salvation he shows us, the life he gives us, it continues to prove more and more satisfying. I'm not discounting or dismissing the fact that you're going to go through trouble. It's just this time when you go through trouble, you're not alone. You're not alone. Look, I want to, I want to close. We've got to close because we're way over time. And I apologize to those on Facebook. If you're still hanging in there, thank you. Um, they say on Facebook, the average person lasts about three minutes. So we've lost them, but that's okay. I want to close out. Because I want to, one more time, I, I, I want you to focus on the reality that Psalm 91 and its message of hope and protection only applies to those who place their trust in God. It's really important we see this. It's really important we understand this. This is not the last time you're going to face trouble in this life. But it's the last time you have to face trouble on your own in this life. The promises in Psalm 91 are only for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who make it their life's goal to live life with God in his presence, coming to know him and getting to be known by God. It's only for those who will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And to come under those protections, to come into 
the realization of these promises requires that we acknowledge how much we need a Savior. Because sin's our greatest enemy. Sin is our biggest problem. Listen, fear feeds off sin. Fear feeds off sin because sin brings brokenness. It exposes us. It gives the enemy areas to attack us in. Fear feeds off our sin. Sets us up for failure. So to come under these protections, we need to repent of sin. And we need to put our full trust and confidence in Christ Jesus who died for us on that cross. Jesus said it this way in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. We're all rebels. We're all sinners. We're all messed up, man. We spend much of our lives throwing our little fists up in the face of God saying, you can't get me, God. And he's saying, y'all watch this. And he's put us in time out. And he's gotten our attention. We're all rebels. We're all sinners. We don't deserve anything from God but condemnation and death for the way we've treated him, for the way we've treated others, for the way we've treated ourselves. But because God loves us, because God loves us, he sent Jesus to pay the price for that sin on the cross. He died for us in our place. Paid the price in full. There's nothing more we owe God but simply to trust him and to walk every day out believing that Christ Jesus died for that sin was risen again to make us right with God. Every day, lived with gratitude. These promises are for anybody. I love what the Bible says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Wants to pray? Then we're going to close it out. Got a little friend that's going to lead us in a prayer. But let's pray first. Father, we love you so much. We do thank you for these promises that you've made to us. And Father, I pray if there's someone in this room or someone in Facebook, someone watching us on YouTube that finds themselves apart from you, God, for whatever reason, I pray that this morning you would speak to their hearts and you would convince them that the salvation that's been offered to the whole world through Jesus Christ is now being offered to them personally. That there is an invitation with their name on it that invites them to know this God of the universe who cares for us so much that he would be our refuge, that he would be a fortress for us, that he would uh, help keep the enemy at bay when the enemy tries to overwhelm us. I pray in the name of Jesus today, Holy Spirit, that you would convince them and convict them and bring them into a relationship with Christ Jesus who can save them and deliver them from all of their fear. Oh, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for what you have done for us in these last two months, but we know that uh, the journey's not over yet, that there's so much more that you have yet to do in us and through us. God, I just pray for an attitude of surrender to permeate this fellowship. Help us to lay our lives down for the sake of your name and your kingdom, to live life with you, to live life in you, for the glory of God here. We praise you. We thank you now for meeting the deepest needs of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.